Welcome back, Tiger fans, to Rock M Nation's football podcast. I'm Nate Edwards. That's Brandon BK Kylie, and this is Before the Box Score, the Enfuego edition. Uh, BK, did you ever play, what was it, NBA Hang Time? Do you remember that video game at all? No, I remember NBA Jam, NBA but not Jam. NBA Hang Time. Yeah. NBA Hang Time, I think, was kind of a predecessor to Jam. Very similar concept, two-on-two, just crazy time basketball. That's where I first heard the whole concept of he's on fire, uh, where you know once your your player was on fire, then you couldn't miss. And um, I think we're seeing that in real life with Eli Drinkwitz on the recruiting trail. What do you think? <laughs> I love it, dude. This is wild. Um, I saw, I believe it was Ben Fredrickson of the St. Louis Post-Dispatch who said the other day, um, he put it very simply, Eli Drinkwitz, Eli Drinkwitz rather, has... Um, in introduced Mizzou fans to SEC offseason recruiting. Ooh. And that's kind of what this feels like, right? Because mm-hmm. for the first time really since Mizzou's been in the SEC, there's this sense of anticipation in June and July as to who the next kid is going to be that jumps on board. And listen, Gary Pinkle had plenty of success early on whenever Mizzou made the jump to the SEC with recruiting. He certainly was not slacking, but... This is just on a different level. Right now, they are one of the 20 best recruiting classes in the country, I mm-hmm. believe, at last check. Yeah. And that's that's borderline unprecedented. They have 16 total commitments, and we have yet to reach, at the start of this uh, podcast, yet to reach the month of July. That's unbelievable. <laughs> it, it, is. it is unbelievable, and he's, he's on one hell of a streak right now. He really is. Um, you know, when we... So last one we recorded was the 16th. On the 17th, um, Coach Drinkwitz did a Zoom meeting with all of the beat writers for uh, for the football beat, and he said in that meeting, it's been a while since we had a recruitment. I'm getting antsy. And lo and behold, I think even later that day, <laughs> we had a guy commit, and then it's just bam, 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 bam. Six, I think, since last we recorded, which is, again, yeah, it is crazy. It is crazy time crazy. Now, we have to kind of pump the brakes a little bit. You got to throw out number one. This is a first-time head coach who has not had the chance to have his vision be be wrong. He hasn't had an opportunity to be proven wrong, so that does go in his favor. Also, recruiting in the COVID era, what is it? I don't know. Is this something that's going to be normal? God, cross your fingers, no. So, like, it's the amount of commitments that are happening um, at the at the pace that it's going. Certainly unprecedented probably not going to be seen again but all of that aside i enjoy recruiting like as a as a hobby to check in every once in a a while now i'm enjoying recruiting like all right when's the next one let's take a look it's wild and i mean it's every any recruiting metric that you want to look at right now is very kind to Eli Drinkwitz. I mean, if you look at the class ranking, 19th right now, that would be the best of any Mizzou class over the last decade. If you look at the total commitments with 16 right now, I mean, most Mizzou classes are around somewhere between 20 and 25, and he is at 16 through the Mm -hmm. end of June. If you look at the average star rating, he's around a (laughs) 3.1 right now. If you compare Mm -hmm. that to any other Mizzou recruiting class over the last decade, it would be at the minimum a top three class over the last decade. So, I mean, anything that you look at, this is, uh, I, I say the word again, unprecedented for Mizzou football in the rivals era. And he's not going to finish with a top 20 recruiting class because it, it's almost impossible to do so at Mizzou. But if he can simply finish top 30 
top 35, which at least seems attainable right now. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're looking at comparing this to mm-hmm. some of the best recruiting classes that we ever saw under Gary Pinkle. And for him to do that in the first year at Mizzou, when I think one of the legitimate questions about Eli Drinkwitz when he was offered the job was his recruiting, is borderline... Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm stunned by it. I did not see this coming. I said early on... Let's see how this goes. I know we were both a little, I don't know if skeptical is the right word, but um, cautiously optimistic whenever the first, I think it was six of the first seven recruits that jumped on board were from either the state of Missouri or East St. Louis. We're like, eh, we'll see, right? Well, there's there's no more we'll see about this. It's happening. He has legitimate momentum right now. The University of Missouri football program has legitimate momentum and now it becomes his job to sustain that and see where it goes from here. And hopefully, if and when football games are actually played, he can sustain it throughout the season. And that's going to be the really hard part. It's one thing to do it on the recruiting trail when you're not playing games. It is. It becomes a little more difficult whenever those games get played and the L start stacking up, potentially. And I think that's what I want a lot of people to just be wary of. I'm not saying, you know, oh, we can't have terrible things. How dare you get excited? Like, no, get excited about this stuff. This is awesome. And also, this is this is the, one of the very few sporting things that we have going on. So embrace it. Enjoy the moment. But it's easy, again, to pitch these kids when you cannot be proven wrong. Pitching these kids and holding on to them when you are losing to BYU and Tennessee and getting pushed to the limit by Eastern Michigan or being scared by Arkansas or getting smacked around by Florida. Like, it's tougher to hold on to those kids then. And, you know, last week, uh, you know, the coaching staff was talking about how they were almost putting more pressure on talking to their current commits to hold on to them and maintain those relationships because, number one, they are their kids. They want to hold on to them. Uh, but number two, it's going to be a rough season. Um, you know, whether we play our many games it is, you know, Missouri's going to be kind of not favored in a lot of them. So you got to keep them committed. You got to make sure they sign on the dotted line. Um, and that's tougher to do in season. But, you know, like you said, look at where these kids are coming from right now. Florida, Tennessee, North Carolina, uh, and then Dalen Carnell, a four-star out of Indianapolis. If he actually signs BK, I'm pretty I'm like 90% certain on this. If Dalen Carnell signs, he would be the first out-of-state four-star recruit to sign with Missouri since, can you think of the last uh, that's one? That's a good question. Out-of-state four-star. Coney Ely was in-state. Um, mm-hmm. I can't think of one that immediately comes to mind. James Franklin. Wow, really? Mm-hmm. I'm... 90% certain that is true. I know he was a four-star out of Texas. And, and that, that was, was what, 2011, 2010? 2010. So in 2011, Sheldon wow, Richardson. Wow, so this decade. Yeah, Sheldon Richardson was in-state. DGB and Evan Bame were in-state. Chase Abington was in-state. Andy Bauer, Nate I Brown. forgot Abington was a four-star. Yeah, yeah. Oh, God. Well, he was barely on campus, so that's yeah. why. Uh, but Terry, well, I guess Terry Beckner was Illinois. Yeah, but yeah. I, I always count those East St. Louis guys as as basically being in-state. I, yeah. Maybe that's not fair, but like yeah. a Kansas City, Kansas guy, I would essentially consider to be an in-state player, even though they're not. True. So I kind of do that for, for either bordering, like on the on the border city. Good, because we'll count that, so then that can be right. Um, but Deal. yeah, <laughs> that works. Um, oh, God, no, I am... 
BK, I'm an idiot. Chad Bailey, four-star out of Texas. Oh, duh. Durr. Wow, I feel like an idiot. Well, you get the idea. It doesn't happen all that often. <laughs> See, everyone's like, Nate, you should do research before you do the podcast. I'm like, you're stupid. Well, okay, here we are. Um, but the point is, these kids are from Another all rousing over. edition of the Before the Box Score podcast here look, on Rocket Nation. <laughs> look, man, here's the thing. Like I said in all my pieces, all my predictions are wrong or else you get your money back. So it's it's totally fine. Um, but these kids are not just St. Louis kids. They're not just Kansas City kids. These are out-of-state kids who don't have to commit to Missouri, and they are. So it's absolutely showing the bona fides of the Drinkwitz regime and all the great recruiters that they have in place, Curtis Looper, Casey Woods, uh, Charlie Harbison. These guys have been around a long time. They know what they're doing. They know how to communicate with these kids, and they're saying all the right things, and you just got to hope that we can keep that momentum through a, through a tough season as well. And it's not just the high school kids either. I mean, they, they have picked up two transfers over the course of the last week plus as well. You got mm-hmm. Grant McInnes, who's the kicker that previously was at Kentucky, and then a Division two kid from Angelo State, Kiki Chisholm. Am I saying that correctly? Do we know That's for sure? That's how I read it. Kiki, yeah. I love that signing as well, man. Yeah. He's an immediately eligible uh, wide receiver for a team that desperately needed some guys on the outside it's entirely possible that going into next season, you could see two new wide receivers. You're going to see the returning running backs because, you know, they were good. And a new quarterback from last year that never played that is going to be immediately eligible now after transferring in the previous season. This could be a totally new look offense compared to what we saw a year ago. And given what we saw a year ago, that might not be such a bad thing. I mean... A TCU transfer taking snaps from a Rutgers transfer and throwing to a Virginia Tech and Angelo State transfer, like, that could be your offense. And, and this kid's 6'4", 210 pounds. Listen, gigantic. I don't know I don't know what he's going to be, right? We have no idea how his game transfers to the SEC level. But that sounds good. I'm into 6'4", 210-pound wide receivers. Yeah. Also, apparently, he's a super smart kid. Uh, he graduated, um, like, in two and a half or three years or something like that. He already had his master's at Angelo State, and now he's going for a second degree. Like, kid can get it done in the classroom too, so uh, that's pretty cool. But, um, you know, looking at all of these, and just kind of as a quick rundown for everybody since we last recorded, uh, you had McGinnis, you had uh, Chisholm. Chisholm from Dangerfield, Texas. What a cool place to be from. Um, but we had Shamar Pearl, who committed to us out of high school, had to go the JUCO route and recommitted, which is awesome. Uh, Zachary Lovett out of Florida. Damian Wilson, linebacker out of North Carolina. Tyler Hibbler um, from St. Louis. And then, of course, B.J. Harris. Uh, So looking at those kids, um, which one of that group uh, excites you the most? Tyler Hibbler um, out of of St. Louis, Missouri. The safety, it sounds like he's probably going to play. Mm -hmm. Um, Big kid, thumper potentially at, at safety. And the reason why I like him committing is less about his game specifically and more about the fact that Missouri, Mizzou's just doing really well in St. Louis right now. And when was the last time that we were able to say that, man? I mean, if you look at it right now, they have, what, four kids out of St. Louis committed, including another one out of East St. Louis and Tyler Mm -hmm. Macon. Mm -hmm. It's already five kids from the area that I live in and then Washington, Missouri, not far away as well. Mm This is a really impressive job that this staff has done, and they said that they were going to make Missouri, the in-state kids, a priority, and they appear to have done exactly that. 
And then if you heard last week, I believe it was, out here in St. Louis on the radio, the East St. Louis football coach, Darren Sunkett, went on the radio and said, hey, my two wide receivers, both of them right now, if they yeah. were to choose, would probably be looking at Missouri as well. Mm-hmm. And so it's this is very clearly, I said the word earlier, momentum a few times. There's momentum in St. Louis. That never happens. And it's not just like the low-level recruits. You've got a couple five, seven, three stars. You got a five, eight, four star kid out of uh, St. Louis. You got a couple more from the other side of the city in East St. Louis. That's really impressive. So Tyler Hibbler, it's less about his game and more about what he represents. But that's the one that got me the most excited. What about you? If I'm being honest, it's Hibbler, and it's it's the St. Louis pipeline. Yes, it's also his film, which just cracks me up. So like he, you know, it's it's Tyler Hibbler's safety out of Trinity Catholic. Six foot one eighty three. That's probably a little generous. He's probably five ten, five eleven, but he's a defensive back by trade and safety by by most of his rotations. Every clip is him like just sprinting towards the line and just throwing himself into some dude in the backfield, and it just cracks me up. He's not like the biggest dude, uh, but he's just flying down and pulling people down, and just like, oh, this is great. This is this is awesome. I love it. Uh, so he he didn't make me excited, but since you said Hibbler, I'm gonna go Shamar Pearl. Before you go there, you know who he reminded me of a little bit? And I think we've mentioned this before. uh, Tavon Ross. Yeah, Tavon Ross. (laughs) It kind of reminded me of watching him. Based off of tape, Tavon Ross should have won three Heismans. And uh, (laughs) unfortunately, the injury stuff just just really messed him up. But uh, yeah, I'm hoping Hibbler has. Oh, man, that is really accurate. Well, let's hope Hibbler has better. The comparison is there. Hopefully, Hibbler stays healthy. Yeah. but, you know, Shamar Pearl, that was the 2018 18 or 19 class. I think it was 19, um, where he committed. And I was like, oh, man, this guy's awesome. Like, as a defensive end, he was, you know, slightly undersized coming out of high school. Uh, but he was already 6'5", I think, at that point. And he was just bending around the tackles. And, you know, all, all, all highlight film is exactly what it is. It's highlight film. But it was just really awesome to see him work these guys. And I was sad when he couldn't come in, especially since Missouri needed defensive ends. Um, so the fact that he not only bulked up, got to 640, not only maintained a 5.73 star ranking, which is damn near four star, um, but did well at Garden City Community, Community College. Came back to Mizzou with a brand new staff, which I'm like, yes, of course, that's awesome. Uh, And he's going to be able to provide an immediate impact if uh, his game translates to the SEC. So that one is is from a position of need and just a recommitment of, like, this recruiting staff is awesome. Uh, Shamar Pearl definitely did it for me. It's a good class so far, and I think that that's something that if you're you're a Mizzou fan that is just kind of going through the commitment list right now, there's any number of guys that I would legitimately see if you decided, hey, that's the guy that I'm most excited about. I'd be like, yeah, that makes sense because there's a lot of really good ones right now. Yeah. And this is this is why there's legitimate reason to be excited about what's taking place for Mizzou football recruiting. And I, I think that there's reason to believe that it's going to continue to get better. Like I said, the, the, the East St. Louis coach doesn't just randomly go on the, on the radio and say, yeah, Mizzou is the leader for two of my wide receivers. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's Sam actually saying that because it's true. 
And if that ends up being the case and those guys commit as well, and you've got Tyler Macon, who was also there, um, who right now is one of the guys that's competing at the Elite 11 as we are currently yeah. recording this podcast. Yeah. I just saw tonight there was a leaderboard for the Elite 11, and he's in the top 10 so far. So awesome. um, this, is, this is really exciting. And I'm not going to tell Mizzou fans right now not to be excited about it. And I know you said this earlier, Nate, but I want to reiterate it. You should be excited. This mm-hmm. is not the norm. This is different. And if you can't get excited about this, I don't know what you can get excited about when it comes to <laughs> recruiting. So you should definitely be able to enjoy this as we're living it right now. And um, appreciate it. Appreciate what we've been able to see thus far from from Eli Drinkwitz and his staff. And they, they all deserve a ton of credit for what they've done thus far. Absolutely. And, you know, we uh, we promised a updated scholarship count, you know, probably five weeks ago. But, damn it, Drinkwitz just kept adding guys. And I was like, well, I'll get to it once he cools off. And he just never did. So that's a good thing. Um, as far as my promises, that's a bad thing. But I did get it out on Monday. Uh, I went over the total scholarship count as far as I see it. And if my math is correct, we're in a little bit of a conundrum. Uh, which is, you know, it's awesome that Drinkwitz can get all these guys, even for the 20 class, but um, because of a rogue tutor, and we'll just avoid that for now, um, we need to be at 81 scholarships for the 2020 football season, and we are currently at 82. Um, I did some projections and just thought process on this, and it's it's not fair because all these kids deserve the scholarships that they have. But BK, we're in a position where we need to cut a scholarship. And they've already done that once with Anthony Watkins. So in your mind, what does this staff do to get down from 82 to 81? I mean, I know people don't like to hear it, but there's always a way. Um, and I, who's the guy right now? I, I wouldn't even want to speculate, honestly. But this... The staff's going to find a way to get it down, a scholarship, if they need to. Um, maybe you look at, typically you look like sophomores and redshirt sophomores, and that's kind of the place where they would typically try to find one of these guys because you're not going to kick out a senior. It's not worth no. it. It's their final year on campus. You're not really gaining a lot beyond this season by doing that. And if you're a sophomore or a redshirt sophomore, you've at least seen a, a year or two of them in the program. You kind of have an idea as to what they're going to be moving forward. Um, that would be the classes that I would probably speculate that you're going to see somebody. Do you have a particular player in, in your mind? And again, this is so unfair for us to talk about these kids. Like they're not even kids and like they're just pieces to be moved around. So it, it is uncomfortable. I mean, if you just if you put a gun in my head and said you need to tell me right now who you're you're taking a scholarship away, in less than a second I'd tell you, uh, Angel Matute, the uh, quarterback turned offensive tackle, uh, who was kind of brought in as a project swing tackle and is yet to see the field. Um, yeah, he's a senior, but I don't see him cracking the starting roster at all unless something big has happened and and. He was a JUCO coming in, and it's just like, eh, whatever. But so that that would be my answer. I, I, sorry, Angel, I don't know if you listen or not. I, I, there's nothing against you. This is purely from a business standpoint. I hope they keep you on scholarship. Um, the, the thing about, you know, you said they'll find a way. Yes. I find it hard for it to just be, hey, you know, your parents are going to have to pay for this year. 
type of conversation because is that really the message you want to send in your first year as a staff is to yank a scholarship from a kid? Like, I kind of feel like you should you might as well just push him out and make him hit the transfer portal, don't you think? Yeah, that that's that's the route. Um, that's the route you go instead of talking about a gray shirt or something like that with one of these kids. Um, my guess is you, you'll probably see a transfer or two. And that's kind of what you would typically expect anyways, right? Right before we come back from the fall, typically you expect one, maybe two guys that are, sometimes it's a surprise. A lot of the times like, okay, that, that makes sense. Um, they just don't end up coming back on campus. And there's a million different reasons why that could be the case, especially right now after this off season, um, maybe, maybe drink has a conversation and yes, there's obviously some, uh, selfish motivations behind this as the coach at Mizzou, but he's talked with somebody that, let's say they live in Florida or Texas or just a, f- a state that is further away from Mizzou, and he says, hey, listen, you know, we, we'd love to help you find a place that is closer to home for you in a time when there is so much uncertainty in the world, right? It, that, that's kind of the push that he could give to somebody in a time like this, um, and I, I would guess if necessary – and I don't even know that it will be, but if necessary, that's probably a conversation that will ultimately happen. That yes, I think that's how he's going to pitch it. You know, one of the we'll call it a downside. One of the downsides of not having a spring uh, a spring practice session is that a lot of times once those are done and the kids can kind of see, okay, I'm returning. Here's my spot, or okay, here's what the new staff thinks of me right now. That's when you see a rash of transfer portal entries. You know. And honestly, heading into the black and gold game before COVID hit, my thought was, okay, the loser of the Sean Robinson-Taylor Powell duel is gone. Uh, And really, you know, just kind of putting together a a fantasy kind of play here, Sean Robinson wins the job. Taylor Powell transfers to Arkansas with Barry Odom, you know, um, Mm. something like that. Now, Felipe Franks is there now, but – um, you know, something like that, where one of those quarterbacks goes, well, I'm not going to see any playing time. I have two years. You know, let me let me go play. Um, and, you know, one of the one of the things that drives me crazy is like a lot of people will say, oh, well, he's just he's not a good competitor. You know, oh, he got beat out and now he's whining and going to go play somewhere else. No, he's doing that because he's a competitor. <laughs> like he right. gave it his all. He didn't get the shot. He wants to play somewhere like I don't I don't fault any any player, especially a quarterback transferring somewhere else. But typically I, I was that's about what to say. Quarterback is is different for me because, like, let's say running back. If you lose the starting job, you're still gonna get reps. We yeah, saw it with Tyler yeah. Beatty last year, right? Mm-hmm. Like they they'll go two, three, maybe even sometimes four deep at running back with guys getting reps. Same thing at receiver. If you're not one of the top three guys playing in your your typical eleven personnel, where you've got one running back, one tight end, and then the three receivers on the field you're still going to get plenty of playing time as the four, five, even sometimes the sixth guy in that rotation. At quarterback, it's different. If you're not the number one guy, I mean, the odds-on favorite is you won't play that year unless it's Mm -hmm. in garbage time. So Mm -hmm. that's a totally different situation to me. I I always judge the quarterback spot a little differently. And they're always going to over-recruit the quarterback spot because of that, because they know – if a guy gets to his junior or senior year and he's not playing and he doesn't expect to play or somebody behind him has now passed him up, well, yeah, that guy's probably going to end up transferring out unless they're okay with being a backup, which no harm, no foul there either. Sometimes guys are just totally fine with being a backup. Yeah, for sure. So, yeah, they'll they'll figure it out. I, I, I don't know when this kind of conversation is going to have. I don't know, like, 
I don't think there's like a hard cutoff of here is where you need to be at your scholarship count. But regardless, do expect a transfer or two uh, to come down the pipe um, as we get closer to August. Uh, but yeah, you know, looking at at the current scholarship makeup, you can start you can start seeing patterns, which is why I, I do it in this way. When you're looking at the graduating years per position, you can see how it's all spaced out. And one of the biggest issues that you know I'm I'm seeing, and this kind of goes back to the transfer talk, there is a huge glut of of offensive linemen in the 2022 <laughs> graduating <laughs> class. Uh, it's five dudes right now, um, and then you got two, three, two, three, kind of spaced out. Um, so it's something like that, or your defensive line where you got eight guys yeah. that are going to be leaving, um, after this year. So you could really kind of piece together what you think the staff can do and where those scholarships are going to go. So to me, you know, I'm shocked that we had, we took two linebackers, maybe one of them switches to defensive end, but I think a lot of what they're going to be focusing on going forward is a couple more, uh, linemen, both on the offensive side and certainly on the defensive side. Uh, and maybe one or two receivers that that sign between now and and then, but uh, I don't know. Any any additional thoughts on the roster makeup currently and the kids that are coming in? Defensive line, lots and yeah. lots and lots of defensive line mm-hmm. talent recruits wherever you can find them if they're a grad transfer next year bring them on in if they're a guy coming up from the juco ranks and you think they can help go ahead and bring them in if they are a a high school player that you think can help a couple of years down the road all the better bring that guy in but this team is desperate right now for 2021 class and 2022 class guys that are going to be playing along the defensive line because you look at what they're losing after next year especially at d-tackle the cupboard is about to be very barren at the defensive tackle position, and they're going to need some dudes that uh, are able to produce right away, potentially. Yeah, and you and you just you have to take JUCO kids, like not only for the instant impact of they have experience, but to balance the classes out. Like we are in this position because Barry Odom could not see a JUCO defensive lineman that he did not want to sign, and and just bring them in and flood them with experience and hope something sticks. So that's how we got to this point. And that um, happened right away. It really that was did. not some random thing that happened. Like he from from the early on when he got the job, he was attacking the especially defensive tackle, yeah. attacking the JUCO D tackle recruits. Yeah, and, and, and this transfers. Is this is how you end up here. So, um, yeah, because Jordan Elliott was a transfer. Uh, Chris Akeel Daniels Byers. was a JUCO. Akil Byers, Antar Thompson was a JUCO. Like. Cy Martin, so like, yeah, that they just they did not know how to recruit defensive linemen. <laughs> oh my god, which is so strange because he was here when it was, when it was D-line the D line zoo. Yes. Like he, he he was a significant part of that, and then it it just it all went to hell. I I, I don't I don't know what happened. I there there's got to be an explanation for it because he was for all of his issues on the defensive line, like. Everywhere else, he did a really good job on the mm-hmm. defensive side of the ball. He just yeah. he, he really struggled to identify and then develop talent on the defensive line. It was really strange. Yeah. Um, who knows? Not our problem anymore. Now he's Arkansas' <laughs> problem. Um, God. Again, I just I I have nightmares of Missouri playing Arkansas the last game of the year if if we have a season this year if we get to that point. And Arkansas wins, and someone says, "Oh, Barry Odom has never lost the uh, the Missouri Arkansas rivalry game since he became head coach." <laughs> and it's like, "Oh my god, I can't do that. <laughs> I can't. I can't live in that world." 
I will say this. If that is our biggest issue with the college football season, things have gone swimmingly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <sighs> We're not going to talk about that. We're going to talk about other terrible things. Let's talk about... Deal. Let's talk about our pre- our opponents that we'll be playing. Um, been doing these 2020 previews, uh, really diving in. I've been having a lot of fun with it. I hope that comes across in the in the writing as well. Hope you all find it entertaining or at least informative. Uh, but we have gotten through one, two, three, four, five teams. Last did Tennessee last week, um, and after Tennessee, uh, in theory. Missouri will be taking uh, taking a road trip, going to Provo, Utah. Uh, God, I hate to, this game. To play that return game, uh, BYU, uh, in the mountains of Provo. And, um, you know, we talked last time we recorded about winning your swing games. Well, buddy, this is a swing game through and through. BYU is not particularly awesome. Last year they were almost a perfectly average team. But Missouri um, will not be a perfectly average team. BYU probably will. And if this game goes as planned, they will have gone all the way to the, to Utah after probably losing to Tennessee and have to play a seasoned veteran squad with a coaching staff that knows what, to, what they want to do and is very good at implementing it. So, uh, BK, how much heartburn do you have about this game? I, I said this like just kind of as an instant reaction to seeing it on the schedule. I hate it. I hated this game when they originally scheduled it, when they mm-hmm. did the BYU game in uh, KC was the original one, the non-con mm-hmm. um, neutral site quote-unquote game. I hated it then. I hate it now. It's awful. Um, this is the exact opposite of what you want to schedule as a team like Missouri because there's no upside to it. If you beat them, okay, you were supposed to. If you lose to them, well, that's a horrible loss for a team like Missouri going out of the SEC. So I I hate games like this, especially going on the road to play them. Um, this is going to be tough, man. They have a clear identity each and every season. They are always massive. They always have dudes that have gone on their trip, and they come back, and they're like 24 years old, and they're really good and really skilled. They have amazing offensive lines every year. I I fear this game every time that I look at it on the schedule. And is is it fair? I don't know. But this is the same team that beat Boise State last year. Mm-hmm. And Boise's a good program each and every mm-hmm. season. So I, I'm very fearful of this game. But you're right. It is absolutely should be considered to be one of the biggest swing games. Maybe the biggest swing game on the schedule for Mizzou. I mean, I don't... There are so many conference games that hold so much more weight. But just from a... From a perspective of this team with this coaching staff and, the, and this roster, is this the make or break game of the season? Look at it. Um, so we have said we went through the first five games thus far, and we agreed Central Arkansas needs to be a win. We agreed yeah. Vandy needs to be a win. We agreed Eastern Michigan needs to be a win. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess we're 
yeah, five games so far, right? Yeah. Yeah, five. Um, and then South Carolina, we both consider to be a probable loss, and then same thing with Tennessee. So three and two is kind of what we would expect them to be at that point. Mm-hmm. If you fall to three and three after this game, with well, we'll kind of we'll get to this as a preview, but Georgia's coming up, and you're going to lose that game. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and you fall to three and four after that. All of the momentum is lost. You've lost three straight games, four of your last five. Uh, that's that's a rough spot to be in as a new head coaching staff. And at that point, you've got some recruits that are probably having questions as well. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's very possible that that's kind of the swing game for the season and the make-or-break game for the season because as you kind of go forward as well, that's the game that could get you to a bowl. I mean, it, yeah, it's... Yeah. It could be that that sixth maybe gets you to seven wins if you're really being optimistic, and that that's kind of what you'd hope to be this year. Is if you can get to that six seven wins, that that's kind of my bar for a successful season this year. So yeah, I, I think it should be viewed that way. What do you think? Yeah, I, I think so too. Because like you said, if we if if it goes as we think it, will they'll be three and two. If you win this one, you're four and two. Then you just need two games out of well, not Georgia, but Kentucky, Mississippi State. Not Florida. Louisiana, Louisiana, Lafayette, (laughs) and Arkansas. You got to win two of those four. That's it. And then you're at a bowl, and you did exactly what you did last year, except this time you can actually play in the the postseason if you want to, and we're all not dead. Um, So you you have to. Otherwise, now you need to get three of four. And I don't know if you live in the world that I do, but you can't ever count on being Kentucky. And Louisiana, Lafayette's damn good. So, like, I don't know. Um, It's – this is the worst time to have this have this game, just flat out. They also have Utah State the week prior. Like I was going to their schedule, hoping like, hey, they've got Utah, Michigan State, Arizona State, and Minnesota as their first four games, mm-hmm. and then they've got Utah State leading into Mizzou. Like, couldn't it have been those four games and then Mizzou? <laughs> so that way, at least then maybe you catch them coming off of like, hey, yeah. they've just been beat to hell the first four weeks of the year. Nope, yeah. they've got a nice little. And Utah State is what it is, but um, they, they've got that as kind of a a letdown game prior to playing Mizzou as well. So that stinks. It does, and you know, let's let's not fool ourselves. I, even with Drinkwitz's offensive acumen and the impact receivers that he's added and his his intelligence and his ability to call plays and and, schemat- and all the schematic stuff, like if Missouri's winning in 2020, you just kind of have to feel like it's going to be a you know first to 20, you know a lot of punt fest, <laughs> field position sort of thing, and that's what BYU likes to do. They they like you said they're all older than pretty much anybody else on Missouri's uh, on Missouri's roster. Most of them are married. A good chunk of them have kids. There's a lot of angry dad energy there. And so they <laughs> like to just run it, run it, run it, and just wear you out over the over the game. And like a couple of passes just to open it up, Zach Wilson likes to kind of scurry around in the backfield and like find a safe safe throw to make. Uh, so they don't burn you. If you're if you're looking at it from like how does Missouri win, it's gonna have to be defensive first, where they just continue to force BYU to punt and then hopefully put the Missouri offense in a two, three, four really optimal positions where they only have to go thirty or forty yards, kick a field goal, get a touchdown, and then just hold on for dear life. Because that defense is pretty dang nasty and I, I can't imagine uh, the Missouri offense really doing a whole lot here. So I do have one question for you. So let's let's deviate off of this for a second. Sean Robinson. Yes. What are realistic expectations for our guy Sean Robinson? Because realistic? we have 
Yeah, we haven't seen him for a year. Um, we don't know what he looks like in this specific offense. We don't know what Drink can or cannot get out of him. Um, what are realistic uh, expectations for him, given the fact that it seems like he's going to basically have an all-new receiving core with Jalen Knox as kind of the one holdover? Okay. Here, here's the stat line, and I'm, I'm, I'm sure I'll do something similar before the season starts when you count the EFs, but I want you, I'm going to read a stat line to you. I'm going to read you a, a proverbial Sean Robinson stat line. I want you to either say, yes, this will work, or no, this is not good. So here we go. He throws, uh, he's got 415 attempts. He completes 54% of them uh, for 2,700 yards. Uh, and let's say 24 touchdowns to like 12 or 13 interceptions with, let's say, like 500 yards on the ground. Is that what is that Kelly Bryant did last year? It's not. Um, you know who it is. Okay, like a Mizzou it's quarterback. Maddie, <laughs> from 2014. <laughs> I'm too obvious. But, yeah, what do you think? 2014 Matty Mock. Not good, but with the pieces around and what did enough especially with that killer defense. Yeah. Um, I think I would take that. I think I would take it's and a lot of throwing, considering you have Roundtree and Beatty, but still. Yeah. I, I don't think he'll get to that kind of numbers in terms of the, the, the overall passing attempts. I would be stunned by that. Probably but if you're not. just looking at like the rate stats and what Maddie did that season, mm-hmm. I think I would accept that. So Maddie that year, if I'm looking at this correctly, ended up at 6.4 yards per attempt, which is, is not good. Um, but... It's not. He took a lot of sacks, though. A lot of sacks. 25 touchdowns. If you just told me 25 touchdowns, 13 interceptions, I think I have to accept that, right? I mean, yeah. It's tough to turn that away. Adding another two touchdowns on the ground, so 27 total touchdowns. He's basically giving you two touchdowns every single week. I I think you have to accept that. Did you... So Coach Busson did a huge, huge push on his film room. Did you watch any of the Sean Robinson bad throws? No, I haven't seen this yet. Yeah, so of course I I gravitated towards the negative. I swear I'm not, I'm a positive person for the most part. Just this team's not going to be great. Um, <laughs> Sean Robinson's got he can he can make the good throws like absolutely. It's that every once in a while he will force something or just make a boneheaded decision, and that's what really got him the. You know, got him the hook at TCU when Coach Looper was doing the offensive coordinating out there. He would just throw the interception that you can't afford to throw. I think he has like nine touchdowns to eight interceptions before he got yanked. And I know mm-hmm. he was injured, but um, he's, I don't know. It just, it reminded me of Matty Mock as I watched this. And I, as I read Coach Busson's breakdown and like forcing it to smaller windows than what he, his receivers can actually do or like, putting it in a place that his guy can't get to and the defender comes over the top like i was just like oh my god that's many muck all over the place so i i'm kind of like hey if we can if he can just i don't know machine gun passes and just distribute a whole lot to a couple of guys and just you know take the good with the bad and then hope the defense can cover for you it's worked before with a better defense. Um, so, I mean, maybe that's the blueprint for this year. The thing that can happen, though, is is the interceptions. Um, and that's that's where it can kill you because if he's the guy that's going to come in there and he's going to make the big throw, but he's also going to destroy you with some of the negative throws, with an offense that has 
trouble potentially scoring this year, as we've kind of been discussing. No. That That's where you really get into trouble because then you set your defense up in bad situations. Your offense isn't able to make it up. Now it becomes a field position game, and you're just, you're not going to win that way. So if he if he's inconsistent, but the inconsistency is just like a low percentage of passes that are completed, you can live with that. If he's inconsistent and the issues are, well, he's throwing two interceptions a game or whatever, one and a half interceptions, that, that's where the problem really starts to become an issue in, in SEC games where you're going up against the legitimate talent or even a situation where you're playing a team like BYU. Um, that, that's where it becomes an issue. But the reason why I wanted to ask you that is just because you were talking about how they would potentially win games this year. I don't disagree with you, but I think a lot of the way that we view this team is viewed through the question of, okay, what are they getting from their quarterback? And it's so hard to know because we really haven't seen much of him. And so everything else is skewed by that one question. What can they get out of Robinson? And if it if it's better than we think, well, a lot of our, our, uh, our priors on what we believe this team to be are kind of thrown out of whack from that. And, you know, the other thing that you got to think about is offensive installation. You know, this is a very unique situation where you didn't have a spring game. You have a new uh, new coaching staff with a new offense coming in. So everyone is starting at square one. Um, but Sean Robinson has his old coordinator coaching the running backs. And I asked Coach Looper last week, just kind of point blank, I'm like, hey, is your role more active in the offensive installation since you know what this kid can and can't do, what he likes and doesn't like? And he didn't answer the question, which – that's not the point. I knew he wasn't going to, but he said that he he's familiar with Sean. He's recruited, you know, he's known the kid for five years since he recruited him. Like he knows how, you know, how he's doing in a given day, what, you know, his personality, what works and stuff like that. So, you know, if, if this season, if this 2020 season is we're sticking with Sean, we're going to do everything that he likes. And then after this, we kind of, you know, do what we want to do. I wouldn't be surprised. You know, if that if that's the take, you got a shorter installation period. Let's figure out what he can and can't do, and just bread and butter that thing till it doesn't work anymore. So I don't know what that is. I don't know what throws he likes. I don't know what kind of running plays he likes to do. But if they tailor it around him and make him, you know, maximum comfort level or familiarity level, maybe that's enough for him to I don't know do well or not thrive, but at least do well. You know. I was about the the big thing that you just mentioned there was the rushing attack, right? Because if if you just say, you know what, let's bread and butter this thing, and you're just gonna go with like a zone read and then quick RPOs, you do that, you can you can fit that in pretty quickly, and then you just and I know we we've had a lot of pieces about this on the site specifically, um, some that you just mentioned in the film room series, but kind of breaking down what this offense can be, you can build on that over the course of the season. You can just add on more elements to the RPO passing game as you go on throughout the year. So maybe that's what they do. They just make this a very simple RPO, lots of quick run game, that, that and that's the way that you go about it. And if that makes the most sense to do that. It does. And just as a, as a side note, unless you're running five wide, every play should be an RPO. Right. If the refs aren't going to call you four or five yards down the field as an offensive lineman, every play should be play action. Every play yeah. should be RPO. Like, no doubt about it. And maybe it is. And I'm just too dumb to understand that. But um, I just I don't ever see a situation when you have a back on the field. Why would you not give the threat of the run and the pass every single play? But whatever. 
Maybe they do. And I'm just stupid, like I said. But yeah, BYU, um, tough game. I think this is, you know, as far as projected Missouri games, this is one of the closest. Um, you know, like like we mentioned, they will have just come back from, from Knoxville, Tennessee, uh, with probable loss, and then they got to go all the way over to Provo. And then they get to come home to Georgia. So yes. this is going to be uh, kind of your Ouchtown Valley here. Oh, and then they get Kentucky after that. Cool. Um, so this is no fun. Basically, the month of October is going to be no fun month. Um, but I just, you know, you got to hope that that this is a close fought win. This I don't I don't care how it happens. Just win. Just win. If you win, then you got bowl game on the uh, as a, as a goal. And if you don't, then you're in the hole, and you know we'll try again next year. Yeah, this is. I I have very low expectations going into it. Um, I would probably say 60-40 game in favor of BYU for me, um, mm-hmm. despite some of my positivity and hope behind what we could potentially see from Sean Robinson. But that's all positivity and hope. And realistically speaking, going on the road in an environment that if they have fans is a very difficult place to play. Uh, I, I, it's, it spells not good things for Mizzou. And so I, I would pick them to lose that game, at least as of today. Hopefully my tune is changed by the time that this game is actually played. For sure. And Hey, you know what? If, if we end up just canceling all non-cons, even <laughs> better, even better Then we don't have to play this. And maybe we can reschedule it for a time when I can go. Cause guys, gals, all you listening, if you can make it to Provo, Utah, this is this is a stadium that's on my bucket list. It's like in the mountains, and I've always wanted to go to this one. It just looks so so pretty, very picturesque. And yeah, you got to watch BYU, but like this is like the one time when you get to do it. And I just I was really looking forward to it this year. Hopefully they cancel it and, and reschedule it for later. But um, yeah, well, it's not going to be fun for the football Tigers, regardless. Um, and speaking of not fun, we're we're getting to Georgia here. Um, you know what? Let me, let me be optimistic for a second. Hey, BK, do you remember 2013? Man, that was awesome. I loved that game. That was so great. That was awesome. Anyway, in 2020, uh, Georgia's going to kick our ass. Um, actually, you know, it's it's really funny because almost throughout the entire last season, Georgia was so good that people were only critiquing like their – Pro Magnum offense and how by by how few points they were actually winning. That's that's how good they were. It's like, oh well, you should be winning by a lot more. So it's good to be a Georgia Bulldog right now. They did have a weird season for how good they were. Like I, I remember watching that South Carolina game last year and being like, what is happening right now? What Jake Fromm, what are you doing? Like you've thrown to the same guy in the exact same way that is on the wrong team. I think it was three times in that game. It's like what yeah. What are, what are you doing? Um, so sometimes you'd watch the offense and just be flabbergasted by the the production that they were getting mm-hmm. out of it. But that being said, I mean, yeah, I, we can say all the great things that we want about Georgia. They're they're incredible. Their recruiting has been unbelievable under Kirby Smart. The defense is absolutely absurd every single year and from what I understand their corners are somehow supposed to get even better next year than they were last year um which yeah, is, cool. is cool. just ridiculous 
Um, they seemingly put new corners into the NFL that are 6'1", 200 pounds every single season. Uh, so hopefully soon that'll be Mizzou. But yeah, Georgia's yeah. <laughs> Georgia is a legitimate tier one program at this point. I was so wrong on Kirby Smart because I did not like the hire at the time that it was made. And he has been tremendous mm-hmm. for them. So um, mm-hmm. I'm not a fan of him as as the guy, but as a coach, damn, is he good. He really is. Um, he, I, I put this in this story, and this tells you, I don't know if it tells you anything about Kirby Smart or just like the profession in general, but as the story goes, in 2000, let's see, it was 2000, into 2015, beginning of 2016, he was offered the job at Georgia, and he was sitting in his coordinator offense in Alabama. He got the call, he took the job, and the first thing he did, as this story is told from like the assistants at Georgia, the first thing he did is he went into their their war room, their recruiting room, to, whipped out his phone and took pictures of their big board, all of their priority targets and where they stand. And then he texted every guy who was not in the number one slot for the Tide and said, why play for a team that doesn't prioritize you when you can play for Oh, my for God. And, like, it's always been kind of frosty. If you ever watch Saban and Smart at their – uh, at the end game because they they don't talk before game, uh, and this is these are two guys who've worked together for eleven years. And Smart's only forty four; he's only been in the coaching profession for sixteen years. So eleven of those were with Nick Saban, and it is frosty, and it's because of this. Now I don't know if that's something like Saban just respects and hates that he did, or like just flat out said, "No, we don't do that." I don't know what Saban's opinion is, but as the story goes. That's how Smart got his kickstarted his Georgia tenure. He is shady. Um, that is a that is a slimy thing to do. But welcome to recruiting, man. Um, th- that is yep. It's slimy, yep. but it is not the most slimy thing in the world. Uh, that's that that has been done yep. in in recruiting, to say the least. So, ugh. Whew. Yeah. Well, he he is like. He's still subscribed to Nick Saban's like 2009-2010 philosophy of of put all your best players on the defensive side and then field an offense that doesn't get in the way. And that's kind of where all the criticism came from last year cuz like they had five stars all across the 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 starting offensive uh, depth chart and like they were good at running, they were good at passing when they passed, but if they fell behind the chains, there's just no chance for them to catch back up and like did I miss Todd Monken getting hired as hired. offensive coordinator? He did, and it's oh boy, it's. I know he's not done well in the NFL, but he's got a pretty good track record at, in the college level, anyway. No, 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 no. He, he did great he at did? the NFL okay. for what he had. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. No, in terms of what he was able to do, like he was in a no-win situation with the Browns. He I was going to say the Browns didn't do anything, year. so I was like, I don't know what his reputation no. is. In 2018, though, when he was the offensive coordinator for the Bucks, he was the one that opened that thing up and made it possible to be what they ultimately became over the last two hmm. years. Monken's a hell of an offensive mind. Good, yeah. Um, and is. his spread it out, wow, this is the opposite of what I would anticipate <laughs> Georgia to do with their exactly. offense. But if they actually let him be him, 
uh, that's going to be a lot of fun to watch. It is, and not for Mizzou no, fans. No, 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 no. <laughs> not, not for anybody outside of you know outside inside the SEC. Outside, it's going to be great because they're finally going to be utilizing these guys the way they should be used. So it kind of seems like Smart read the writing on the wall, got himself a coordinator who knows how to air raid, how to do complex offenses like in the NFL, and then he got himself a quarterback. And Jake Fromm was was a fantastic game manager, uh, but he was a, a mayonnaise statue who wasn't going to do anything to spice anything up or do anything to break the game open. They got the most kind of in vogue dual threat quarterback on the on the transfer market last year in Jamie Newman. Now Newman was at Wake Forest, went eight and five last year, had the 60th best offense in the country. But he was highly coveted because, again, he was doing this at Wake Forest. Um, and so so Smart brought him on um, to kind of helm this new spread out air raid. I don't, I don't know how they're going to do it, but to, to run this new offense. So um, I think he's, he's seen the mistakes of running a, a, what do you call it, traditional offense uh, with a boring game plan and, and letting his dynamic – quarterback Justin Fields go off to Ohio State and go to playoff games he's he's finally seen that so I'm really curious as to what this offense is going to be but like you said if they use the athletes correctly they're probably going to be nigh unstoppable can you imagine if they just went with Justin Fields instead of Jake Fromm god like they should have (laughs) because Justin Fields is incredible and will be a top five draft pick in the NFL next season um, and Jake Fromm it is not. So they, uh, I think they might have chosen incorrectly there. That being said, I mean, Jake Fromm was plenty successful in his mm-hmm. time at Georgia. So mm-hmm. they were picking uh, the, the good out of the two great options. But, you know, they, uh, they could have done a little better and probably so ended up with another natty as a result. Yeah, but he's. it seems like he's seen the error of his ways. So... We we could go into depth charts and players and stuff like that, just flat out. Georgia wins this game nine times out of ten, probably ten out of ten. But as to, to prove to you all that I can be optimistic about things, let's. How would Missouri pull this one off? I see it. There's four steps basically. Number one, that the new offense somehow takes a while to take hold, <laughs> and an offense that's used to just running first, second, third down has trouble transitioning to. To the new quarterback, to the new uh, play calls, all that stuff. It just seems out of whack for the first half of the year. Number two, Jamie Newman is merely okay. And he doesn't add enough of a run threat to make an impact. And truly, I mean, Jamie Newman did well, but he wasn't as like, I don't think he earned his reputation all that well. Like as a runner, he was fine. He was not usually getting the yards needed. And as a as a passer, like he almost threw for three thousand yards, but you know, he took twenty two sacks, which, you know, dual threats tend to take a little bit more, but threw eleven interceptions. Um, his passes didn't really go all that far. So you gotta think, okay, well, if the weapons improve around him, he'll improve too. Well, maybe, but that's a question you gotta answer first. Number three Georgia's losing pretty much every single receiver. They got they got one big guy returning back, George Pickens, and then a bunch of guys who barely saw the field. So maybe the receivers are too young and inexperienced to be reliable. And then number four is their schedule. They have seven straight games before a bye week, and they have two road games. Um, well, I guess what one true road game, quote-unquote, a neutral side against Virginia. But – the road game is at Alabama on September 19th, and before they play Missouri, they will have hosted a projected top-10 team in Auburn. 
So maybe they're beat up, and then you know we catch them flat-footed before their bye week, and maybe we have a chance to win. So there's my optimism for you guys. Yeah, Mizzou loses, um, and they go into the next week <laughs> hoping for better results. That's yeah. that, let's let's be honest here. I mean, it's it's just this is a game where you anticipate losing and you hope that you hold it close for three quarters, and that's. It sounds terrible, but that's that's where these two programs are right now. Hopefully soon that doesn't end up being the case, and Eli Drinkwitz is able to build this program into one that is competing against the likes of Georgia and has a legitimate shot to, in an upset, while still being an upset, beat them. But that is this is not the year where that it, I'm going into this game with that in mind. Yeah, I've kind of gone into this game with that in mind since 2017, honestly. Yeah. But I mean, th- for a new staff and for a young team, this is where you find your battlers, right? Who are the guys who keep fighting even when you you are outgunned and this is not happening? Find those kids. Who's still performing? Who's still playing their butts off? This is this is one of those opportunities for a young team to mature and show who their leaders are. So that's that's really what you're getting out of this because, uh, yeah, you're not winning. Um, but that's okay. That's okay. You don't have to win. <sighs> So that's it. Those are the next two in line. God, next time we do this, will be Kentucky and Mississippi State. That's going to be a lot of fun. Well, yeah. K- Kentucky won't be fun, but Mississippi State's going to be fun to dive into. Um, but, yeah, that's uh, – The Pirate, he's back. He's back in our lives. God. I mean, he's he's gotten very crotchety recently. Um, but I do like a world in, in which Mike Leach is usually – <laughs> like a world where Mike Leach is sharing his thoughts. So it's we're better for it. And he's a hell of a football coach, man. People can say whatever they want about him as a person, and I, I certainly have my own thoughts about him as well. But Mike Leach can co- coach some football, and he's going to make that team into something better than it has been prior uh, to Mullen and what it will be once again, I believe, under him. I, I think that's going to be a quality football team, even if the record doesn't show it, just because in that SEC West it's tough to have it a really good record obviously i just love that he takes the most like bfe located teams in like just lubbock texas well there's a reason you for know that. pullman washington you know starkville mississippi like he takes the most back you know like hardest to find on the map places and he's like that's where i want to work and i love that I love well that. he he doesn't have much of a choice um a program like <laughs> true, a program true. like missouri is not hiring him in columbia no. missouri listen that uh, I, he's just he's not getting those jobs he wanted to be in the sec and this was the job that offered him the opportunity to do so yeah. um if he was getting offered the ou job he would have gone to norman oklahoma if he was getting true. offered the job in austin texas he would have taken that no questions asked uh, he just he's not getting those jobs. I did have one other question for you before we get out of here, sure. Nate. Because yeah. you've been on the last couple uh, Mizzou football coaching Zoom calls. Yes. And yes. one thing that I love about this staff, or at least thus far from what I've what I've gathered, uh, they've got a little more personality than the previous staff do- <laughs> did, and they're yeah. willing to show it publicly, both to reporters and certainly when they're working a room, whether that be recruiting or with the fans. What's been your your early interactions? What's uh, what's been your impression of the coaching staff and the guys that you've talked with thus far? Very easy to talk to. Very easy to talk to. There's no intimidation factor at all. 
Um, there was, you know, Drinkwitz obviously commands a lot of attention and commands a lot of respect just as the head guy. That's the one interview where I felt like, oh, I got to, I got to sit up straight straight in my tie that I'm not wearing as I sit in my, in my basement. But like, you know, all the other guys, like Casey Woods was just like, it's like I had known him for years, you know, coach Looper. It was like, it was like going back and talking to your high school, like science teacher. Like it was just very relaxed. Um, they all say hello use your name, um, answer your questions, you know, not directly all the time, but I think that's just kind of the nature of the job. But, like, they are appreciative of our time. Uh, they got great stories. Casey Woods is a tremendous storyteller uh, without even trying. You know, it's, just <laughs> it's like he's, he's so entertaining. It's not like he's trying to be entertaining, which I, I really appreciate. Um, but, yeah, we've got uh, – the, the players been on, too. Larry Roundtree was great to talk to. Daniel Parker Jr. has been through a lot, and mm-hmm. it was great to hear his his opinions on things and his takes on things. And um, it's, it's a great staff so far from an interview standpoint and just from a person standpoint. It's been very easy to talk to, uh, and I, I wish we had more time, honestly, because it's been fun. In terms of selling – the program because this has been the biggest thing that I've noticed that is a change and I'm certainly not the only one it's not like an, a specifically original thought to me but I've noticed that this staff seems to have more salesmen on it um and that's not for sure I don't want that to sound slimy because sometimes you hear oh it's they've not. got a lot of salesmen on it but you have to sell your program in some way, right? Like Alabama can get away without selling their program because they win so damn much. That's what that's what sells itself. Um, the University of Texas doesn't necessarily need a salesman because it's it's Texas, right? Um, same thing for I- any number of blue blood pro- blue blood programs. That's not the case at Mizzou. Um, I I love that university. I I went there. That is my alma mater. I love Mizzou, but. There are kids that need to be sold to go to Columbia, Missouri. There are fans that need to be sold to go out to to that stadium every Saturday to watch Mizzou. And I think this staff so far has done a much better job of doing that part of the job than I've seen previously. And that, that even goes back to Pinkle, too. Pinkle was a lot, great at a lot of things. Not a great salesman. Um, this staff seems to be really good at that thus far, from from what I can gather. But you have talked over the last couple of weeks with some of the guys. I'd, I'd be curious your thoughts on that as well. Yeah, it's salesman gets a negative connotation because you always think of the crappy used car salesman. Mm-hmm. Um, that's always everyone's first thought. I'll tell you, I've been in the sales world pretty much my entire professional career. Good salesmen, saleswomen they're not slimy. They're the ones that just make a concise point and show that this is where you need to be and then deliver, deliver. You don't get to be a salesperson by not delivering. And, you know, for so far, you look, look at who we've got 16 kids from all across the country. They're all committing to play in Columbia, Missouri. He's got the fans energized. He's got the media energized, both Gabe Diarman and Dave matter mentioned how entertaining and likable these guys are like, that's a salesperson. That's someone who's not only giving you facts and reasons to support, but in theory is going to deliver. And of the only tests that they have to pass right now, they're passing the recruiting one. We'll talk about on the field, tactical stuff, game management, you know, master management. We'll talk about that later. But the only test they have right now, they're getting A's on. And that's a good salesperson. So if that's what this roster, this roster of coaches is, so be it. That's exactly what I would want. Same here, man. And I said from the beginning, whenever I saw um, some of the titles that a lot of these 
these guys on the staff had previously. The word recruiting coordinator is one mm-hmm. that the majority of them, or at least a large number of them, at some point held. And that, that kind of spoke volumes as to what Drinkwitz mm-hmm. was looking for. And maybe it was, I said previously, one of the biggest questions that I had about Drink was his ability to recruit at this level. Maybe mm-hmm. he was self-aware enough to know, okay, maybe that is going to be one of the things that I have to prove. So let's go ahead and get some guys that have the experience on that side of things at this level I'll lean on them early on, and then later on, I'll have the ability to then rely on my name, hopefully, fingers crossed, and I I won't need to lean on that as much in the future, but for right now, I think he did a really good job of making sure his staff was able to cover up or mask some of the deficiencies that potentially could have been there from his resume. It takes, a good, it takes an experienced leader to surround himself with guys who can do the things he can't do or guys who can do what he wants to do. And I think that was one of the, the faults of Odom is that he's surrounded with guys that he wanted to work with, not necessarily the ones that could cover weaknesses. Um, again, this is all a lot of bluster for a team that has not played it down, but like this is kind of what we're seeing. And, you know, recruiting coordinator, I think it was uh, Coach Link, Coach Woods, Coach Harbison, Coach Looper all have recruiting coordinator experience. So, yeah, he, he knows that that's what's important in college football, right? Recruiting is what gets you national championships. That's why Gene Chizik, of all people, has a national championship, and Chip Kelly does not. Chip Kelly can't recruit anywhere, okay? Yeah. <laughs> he can't do it. Uh, you know, Barry Odom could not recruit. He could scout. He could find your diamonds in the rough, but he could not recruit. Recruiters are what's going to make it happen. That's why Jeremy Pruitt has a job. That's why Nick Saban has a job. That's why Kirby Smart has a job. Like all these guys know how that works. It gets them to where they are. And if you if you have to be good at one thing in college football, it better be recruiting. If you can coach receivers, tight ends, defense linemen, cool, cherry on top. Just bring in the best players and let them loose. That's how you win and then get lucky. But <laughs> that's how you do it. And that's what this staff has shown that they can do so far. It's why a lot of coaches go to the NFL too, right? Because oh, absolutely. Th- there are yeah. so many coaches that are like, I, I hate it. I-, I hate having to recruit all the time. And there are others yeah. that love it. And so it mm-hmm. depends which side of that coin you're built for. And certain coaches are better for the college game. Others are better for the NFL. And the games are so similar now that I don't think the differences are quite as much in terms of the actual on-field product as what it once was that they're starting to become more and more similar the games are blending because everything's trickling up from high school to college to the nfl now um but in terms of the off-field part that's where things are the most dissimilar and that's where the recruiting really comes into effect because if you can't do it at this level you got no shot. And so far, you can only give the check marks next to Drinkwitz's name for what he's done correctly and what he's been tested with thus far. And so far, in terms of the PR battle with the fans, you can put a check mark there. He's done a great job there. Mm-hmm. If you look at the how he has handled the media, put a check mark there. He's been more accessible than any Mizzou coach in the last 20 years. I can tell you that right now. And mm-hmm. If you want to put a check mark next to the recruiting, I think you can do that too. Those are the only three tests we've seen thus far. Actually, you can put a fourth, leadership. Because what we've seen over the last month from him has been real leadership. And so far, Mm -hmm. you can put a check mark there as well. So um, I I think the tests that we've seen him have thus far, he's passed all of them. Obviously, the biggest test still remains, and we'll see where that goes. And that's why we're previewing all of these games here on the podcast. But... um, (laughs) The, the, the test that he's been thrown thus far, he has passed. 
He's done very well. Any last thoughts, BK? I like that they took a kicker. Do you? I, I do. <laughs> two, kicker, two kickers on scholarship in the same year? You like that? Well, this guy's going to be out in a year, right? Yeah. So go ahead and add somebody you think's going to improve your roster. I got no issue with it. If you think he's going to come in right away and he could be the difference in a game and maybe it's one of those swing yeah. games and he can make a key play in one of those games that you didn't feel like you were going to be able to make without him, I got no issue with it. Go ahead and use the roster spot for a guy that you think could be a legitimate improvement for your roster. If that's at tight end, if that's at cornerback, if that's at kicker, if that's at long snapper, go for it. Go ahead and improve this roster in any way that it can because God knows this roster can use a little bit of improving right now. And even if that's <laughs> at kicker, I'm here for it. I It, yeah, it appears that you're not. <laughs> well, I mean, look, if you're going to win close games, you need a good quarterback, you need good special teams. Eh, and time management, but still. On the field stuff, that's what you need. So, yeah, I, I mean, they don't know what they have in the special teams department. That's why they took this kid. You know, you didn't have a spring to see your walk-on crew. You didn't have a spring because uh, I don't think Harrison Bevis was on um, on campus at that point. So, like, the kickers that you have, you didn't get to see. And if he's just that concerned and there was a guy who was interested, like, I get it. I think that's fine. Um, I mean – do we need another, like you said, do we need another tight end or a running back? Maybe, I don't know. But, um, yeah, he's gone in a year, so it's fine. It's fine. I just – two kickers on scholarship is a little weird because we've done it with, like, a punter and a kicker. Sure. But, uh, I don't know. It's it's fine. It's fine. The other thing is I just – kicker is such a weird position because, I mean, Tucker McCann, for instance, wasn't a bad kicker by the time that he left. He was perfectly fine, adequate. Um, but if you remember his freshman year, he really struggled. And it, it's mm-hmm. something different mentally about getting into these games and having that pressure. And we'll see on the fans. Maybe it ends up being different this year. But having the pressure of 50, 60, 70, in some places 100,000 people watching you as you kick the football. Um, mm-hmm. And it's not about, at that point, your ability. Tucker McCann was plenty talented as a kicker. It just got in his head sometimes. He just he ended up shanking them. Um, and so at least now you've got a guy who I know he hasn't kicked field goals at this level, but at least he's kicked at this level, even as a kickoff specialist. Um, yeah. And so I do th- I do think that maybe I'm being silly, but I do think there is something to that. I think that matters. So um, I actually really liked the decision. I, I think that if you're going to play games the way that uh, Nate, you think they're going to play this year, and they're going to have to win them mm-hmm. twenty to thirteen or twenty-four to seventeen. Your kicker's going to be really important to make that possible. So I, I'm here for it. And maybe it's just a competition thing, you know? Because like you said, he he has not kicked field goals, and like Tucker McCann, his strengths in order were one punting, two kicking off, three field goals. Okay, like those those were his strengths. So if you just have Harrison Mevis and Grant McInnes on the field and say, all right, hit 20 in a row, like just see what they can do. You, you got the option. You got the option um, to find also, the guy who's going to be able to deliver. So. You know what really matters in low-scoring hmm. games? Field position. <laughs> I, yep. I know it's yep. boring. I know it's like the lamest thing in the world to care about, but field position is going to matter in some of these games. That's why I harped on the interceptions. It's why the defense is going to be so critical for this team, even though we talk a lot about the offense. And it's why a kickoff specialist potentially could matter for them. So I'll get off my high horse now. I just (laughs) wanted to mention the fact that I liked the fact that they took a transfer as a kicker. 
That's right. We're coming at you with special teams talk <laughs> in the last 10 minutes of an hour and well, 10 minute podcast. Like this, this is why you come here, ladies and gentlemen. Rock in before the box score. Talking about foot people. Let's do it. Any other, any other topics? Any more high horses to ride? I got nothing for you at this point. That's all I've got today. Okay. Hey, good recruiting. We're yeah. about to get back on campus officially for like real practices starting up yeah. here, not too not too long from now. Um, mm-hmm. I think the season's going to be played. We'll get some more positivity out there. Um, <laughs> and they took a kicker, so I'm good. <laughs> yeah, I like it. I like it. Also, the Little Mermaid sucks. Well, all right, wrap it up. Wrap it up, Nate. <laughs> Oh, God. The Grammys are playing you off. I know. That's our show. We are before the box score. We appreciate you tuning in today. We appreciate the downloads and the subscriptions. Please leave a comment or rate us. We love all types of feedback about our talk about special teams and the Little Mermaid. (laughs) Um, You can follow us on Twitter. I'm at Nate G. Edwards. He is at BK Sports Talk. And, of course, you can follow the Rock M flagship at Rock M Nation. We appreciate you tuning in this time. We'll try to do better next time. And until then... M-I-Z. Z-O-U.